Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. When women lead, share performance and profits go up 50%. Results are more powerful when everyone is empowered. This is the insight that brought the four founders of Beyond Barriers together. We came from a diverse set of leadership backgrounds with a common goal to close the gender gap at work and expand economic opportunities for everyone. Tune in each week as one of us interviews inspiring guests who share stories and cutting edge strategies that will help you learn what helped them go further faster. I'm Monica Marquez, your host for today's episode. Sarah Chen Spellings had the rare opportunity to know what it's like to be a success from a very young age. By nine, she was already a TV host in Malaysia. And by 25, she was wise beyond her years and already making millions. After her father died, she was called to manage the family business and quickly learned the art of grit, resilience, and the power of business from this experience. However, Before her father died, he encouraged her to work in the corporate world. Through that experience, she learned to turn her convictions into her work and believes that having a strong community and positive mentors are important for success. She likes to help other women and people of color move up the ladder and create opportunities for them to be a part of upper management that was once not possible. Even with all of her successes, Sarah can still feel like she's failing sometimes. She honestly shares why and how she focuses on what's possible to overcome these feelings. She also shares how she evaluates risks, manages her time, and puts family first. Referring to herself as an activated, accidental feminist, she says, go big or go home, which is a motto for her. And we learn how true that's been for her life in this podcast. Visit GoBeyondBarriers.com, where you'll find show notes and links to all of the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us on the Beyond Barriers podcast. We are thrilled to have you here. Um, you and I were chatting a little bit before uh, we we uh, jumped on this podcast and you just, I can tell already, have so many great things to share with our audience. And so without further ado, tell us a little bit about, you know, who Sarah is, um, your story and kind of what led you on your journey and what have you learned so far? Because you are doing some really amazing things. You're disrupting the VC world. Um, and, you know, that takes a lot of courage, especially in a place where we see that the um, statistics are totally not in, in the favor of women and you're, and you're looking to really disrupt that. So tell us a little bit about your journey, where you started and how you ended up here. Yeah, thanks for that. And thanks for this kind invitation. You know, like I was saying, it sounds like we're aligned already. We we like the same words. So we're going beyond and we're con- we will continue to do that. So a little bit about me and I'll, I'll do the quick and dirty and we can go, you know, in, in the tangents that that would be useful for, for the audience here. I mean, you know, I grew up in Malaysia. Um, the, the fun fact is that I have is at nine years old, I was already, you know, in the media. I was a national TV host for a good five years. So in the spotlight and under the pressure of, you know, being pr- a, a high performer in many different ways. Yes. But that also widened my aperture. And we talked a little bit about technology and media and the prelude. But that's really what I've been brought up with to understand that, you know, there is really a huge impact that you can have if you focus um, yourself and, and your efforts in the right way, utilizing and leveraging te- both technology and media, which interestingly are two things that I really care about that has manifested in my life. Um, at the age of 21, 22, unfortunately, my father, my late father passed 
uh, from cancer. But just before that, you know, I, I was studying law in London and was called back as a beautiful Asian daughter to help to run the business. And yeah. I was doing this in a very difficult time uh, where I had to essentially have that Asian hold your face value, uh, sort of pretend that he wasn't dying. And at yeah. the same time, try to hold things together, which frankly, I felt that I failed. Uh, you know, I can still remember the feeling of my first resignation letter from a staff. And, you know, I think these are all experiences that I look back upon that has really given me a couple of things. One is grit. One is resilience. One is an understanding of the power of business as well and, and what that means to uh, be responsible for people's uh, rice bowls, right? Yeah. Um, but very quickly, you know, um, my father saw in the later part of his life, right, as I was running the business and trying to be my best self at 21, 22, knowing nothing, working with people who are twice my age, who are better than me in so many ways, um, and realizing that, um, you know, his daughter was really uh, burning out as well, very early mm-hmm. on. And he said, you know, honey, go in, uh, go get some corporate experience. This business is always going to be here for you. And, um, you know, you can come back to it. And that pushed me into a large conglomerate where I was higher, you know, higher number three, one of the first few hires of a corporate venture capital unit that was spinning out. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that really got me into venture capital. My first check was a $30 million check at 25 years old. And, uh, you know, the reason why I'm giving you these timestamps was because as as I... um, I, I think, you know, I, I was uh, giving a keynote speech at, at a graduation for a business school with mm-hmm. mid, people who are mid-career, right? And yes. oftentimes uh, people look at me and say, and I know what they're thinking, right? This girl, she's too young to be here. You know, right. why does she deserve to be here? That sort of thing. And so I, I say I say this with, uh, with humility, but also with conviction, right, mm-hmm. that... Um, you know, these experiences have given me an old soul and it has aged me. And a lot of my friends are a lot older, but it's also given me huge perspective very early on uh, to do the hard stuff and to do the big stuff, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I was in the VC unit um, and that was really interesting. I felt I thrived in that chapter. I mm-hmm. love working with founders. I love building. Um, I love the check writing too, because I realized the power of the check, right? And what that opens up, the possibility that opens up. But at the same time, and this was in Malaysia, um, I realized that there were very few people who looked like me and spoke like me. And I'm sure many of us uh, that are tuning in have the experience of being the first and only in many rooms Mm -hmm. and what that feels like. Um, And I realized that I needed to do something, or at least I asked the question, and that asking of a question took the form of me and my friend at that time, Abir Abdurrahim, my co-founder in Malaysia mm-hmm. for what became Lean in Malaysia. So we mm-hmm. were two corporate women yes, climbing our corporate ladder and realizing that as we looked up, right? So, of course, the CEOs, the higher right. levels would, would be sitting at the higher levels of the skyscraper building that you work in. There were less and less women. Yes, And we thought to ourselves, you know, there must be some hope for us. There must be some role models that we should look into uh, and ask their advice. And when we studied the subject matter, we realized there was only 5% of CEOs in Malaysia that were women at that time. So this was something like 2015, 2016. Uh, And so we were inspired by Sheryl Sandberg, actually. She wrote the book Lean In. uh, That, you know, hit the shores in Malaysia. We read the book. We were inspired. We thought 
maybe we can take a version of this and localize it to the Malaysia context. And that's where Lean in Malaysia was born. So two mm-hmm. corporate women, right, who were, you know, in their 20s looking for role models decided, okay, let's do this. Uh, and let's invite somebody like a speaker series, let's invite somebody to speak to a group of women. And we happened to find a director of a stock exchange then, who uh-huh. was a woman and said, um, who happened to be a woman and, and said, well, you know, bring your 10 girlfriends, let's have dinner and let's talk about it. And yes. I'll share, you know, the, the good, bad and ugly. And mm-hmm. I kid you not, this was early days of Facebook in Malaysia, 2015, 2016. Uh, we, you know, started inviting friends on Facebook, posted on Facebook, and we were trying to find 10 people, right, for this dinner that this woman was going to sponsor. 80 people wanted to show up. Oh, my God. And then the next one, the next one was 100. The next one was like 1,000. And then, you know, I mean, we'll we'll unpack this a little bit later, but, you know, my style is go big or go home always. And if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And with the it it took the form of a nonprofit, but we wanted to make sure it was sustainable. So it sustains still today. And and you know, I'm I'm only a board member. It's run by really great women right now back in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. But we grew from literally two women with a keen interest to find out how do we do this? How do we right break the system in some way? And we ended up today, you know, we're seven thousand strong. We've got a career accelerator to get women women back back into the workforce and into leadership. Yeah. We've got support from ministry, uh, the Ministry of Women, Ministry of Youth. We've got, you know, huge corporates engaged that are sponsors that drive a lot of the work. But, you know, um, that's really it. That really catapulted me into becoming what I call an accidental activated feminist. I mean, I've always been a feminist, (laughs) but to be called to do this work, you know, I was only doing my investing work and then realizing where are the women? Mm-hmm. Right. These women who I was working with. So there were women, but they were checking out at 5 p.m., 6 p.m. Yes. Because, as you know, the women are still expected to shoulder the domestic responsibilities. Yes. You know, who's going to cook dinner if it's not me? Right. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I realized these women, they were smart as hell, but they were not getting the keys to the corner office because uh, the men were taking meetings at 8 p.m. And I was with them because I was single at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing the late night shifts, doing the deals, working our asses off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it shouldn't be that way. And we wanted to change it. So that's really how, you know, my career um, emerged and to create two themes in my life that I've now manifested into the billion dollar fund for women, which mm-hmm. is a merger of venture capital and women in leadership, right? So feeling, yes. I, I mean, I will say it's been really hard and I'm sure you would relate to this, but to be able to now make my passion, um, my conviction in life, the work that I do on a daily basis, it's hard, right? You know, we had to figure out how to commercialize it and all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, it's been, it's been a treat. And uh, there are days where, you know, you feel like, oh, my God, why am I doing this? But I I wouldn't (laughs) trade it for anything. That's phenomenal. And wow, like, you know, it's so inspiring to hear that. And there were several little things that you mentioned there that I think um, are certainly probably piquing the ears and questions of our audience of, you know, you talked about early in your in your life when you were studying law and you went back, you know, the cultural norms of the Asian culture to go back and like help your family's business, your dad's business. And you felt like you were failing. And this idea of the fear of failure um, you know, how did you, how did you work through that? Because you were still extremely successful and you think about 
everything you're doing now, even that sense of failure in that moment, it didn't stop you. So where do you draw the courage? How, how do you build the confidence and the resiliency for you over your career in those moments where you feel like you failed, but it doesn't stop you and you have that mentality of go big or go home? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'll mention, so I also have a, a podcast, Billion Dollar Moves, and I had one of my friends on who's a venture uh-huh. investor. You know, she's a huge material scientist turned unicorn backer and basically uh-huh. raised about 100 million before the age of 30. And she said this, I feel like I'm failing every day still. Mm. And it shocked me at first because I was like, Lou, how could you still feel this way? But I feel this way. You know, mm-hmm. I still feel that. And I think um, part of that is because especially with, you know, the high performing women, ambitious women that we are, we yes. have high expectations of ourselves. But what I will say, the way I think about it and the way I, I guess, give myself some grace is that I'm still young and our careers are long. So whatever you, age you are, I mean, look at uh, um, Vera Wang, right? She was yes. a, a skater and then she became successful at the age of 40. Uh, mm-hmm. Look at Colonel Sanders, right? He really yes. hit it out of the park at 60. And, and I will say my co-founder currently at the Billion Dollar Fund for Women wouldn't uh-huh. be too happy that I say this, but I wouldn't reveal her age. Uh, but she's entering a new series and we're a multi-generational firm. Uh Uh, So she's a baby boomer. But, um, you know, I even look at her and I'm inspired because at every age you can thrive and you can create impact. And there's always an opportunity. And I will say that one of the best advice that I've been given by my seniors is that, Sarah, if it's important, take the time to do it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think this feeling of failure is because for me, I speak for myself, I and I'm sure many feel this way. I wanted it done yesterday. I wanted to be here yesterday, you know, <laughs> yes. um, but that doesn't mean, and, and I will say, I do feel like a fraud a lot because it takes me so long to achieve the thing that I know I'm doing, but what if I don't do it? I'm mm. a fraud, but if I yeah. do it, you know, that changes the yeah. game. And, and mm-hmm. that's the reality, you know, until some things take time and deserve the time and change, growth, progress will cost a lot it'll Mm -hmm. cost you feeling like a fraud it'll cost you um you know your sanity sometimes right because you're just on it and all you know on the on the goal all the time but um hopefully you're doing it for the right reasons which is you know for me the the why piece is very important and for me it's like what is my why why am i doing this Mm -hmm. and for me what drives me is the fact that i know i just have something big here to be done Mm-hmm. And I'm uniquely positioned to be able to execute in this way. Mm, I love that. And I think it's so powerful that you, you know, as you were you were saying that you have these feelings of fraud, you have these fears, these, you know, and sometimes maybe even self-limiting beliefs, but mm-hmm. you are choosing to move forward and having more faith than fear, knowing that you're going to figure it out. And that you, like you said, you have a long runway, right? You're young and your career is long. And, you know, just moving forward in this idea that it's okay to have these fears of failure, these fears of fraudulent, you know, feelings of imposter syndrome, all of these types of things. But the the way to remedy them is, like you said, eventually accomplishing what you set out to accomplish. And then it's that evidence of like, okay, I can do this. And even if the thing that I'm doing next is even bigger and even more uncertain, 
I know that I'm still going to move forward because I always tend to accomplish those things. And so I love that. I love the normalization of you are so successful. You're an amazing, you know, entrepreneur. You're an amazing advocate. And like you said, accidental activist. Um, and yet you still have these feelings and you still struggle with these things every day, um, as do I, and as does most every other individual. And so that idea of being vulnerable and sharing and normalizing it for people is so powerful. Thank you for doing that. I think it's amazing. And I have one more question for you. So you talked about, you know, you were this young, you know, ambitious woman, you and your colleague were looking up and not seeing a lot of women and you started to create community and, you know, same thing in terms of, you know, you and your new podcast, right. Of, creating visibility for these, these people. So how important is it for you, um, you know, in this, you know, creating the visibility or building that community, being strategic on finding those individuals that'll help you get there? Because like you were saying, it wasn't there for you. So you created it with the mm -hmm. Lenient Malaysia. Um, tell us a little bit more about like, how are you doing that even through the podcast and things like that? How important is community for you in order to help you keep going? Yeah, I would say community is everything, right? And, you know, I'll share, I'm an immigrant to this country. I'm in the United States right now, and I mo only moved here four years ago. And I wouldn't be where I am today without my community, my network, right? You know, I mean, that's cliche, but your net, your net worth is really your network. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think this is an important point, too. Um, you know, when I was young and I did my first 30 million deal, I talked about Mm -hmm. Again, I don't think, you know, that that deal didn't go the way that we all wanted it. But mm -hmm. along the way, because I was just true to who I am in that I'm transparent, mm -hmm. I try to be, you know, as transparent as I can be. I don't like to play the political games. And, you know, a lot of my work in the chapter of working within the corporate, because it's so bureaucratic, was I will say a lot of my time was spent doing stakeholder management. Yes. versus what I felt I wanted to be doing, which was the investing. But mm -hmm. my work ethic was such that, you know, I would be transparent with the counterparty that was my investee company that mm -hmm. uh, this is what's happening. I'm doing my best here. I'm doing mm -hmm. my job. But, you know, the higher ups need to approve this. And and this was like one of the flaws of, uh, of the corporate VC unit in that we were mm -hmm. investing from balance sheet and not an independent entity. So, you know, that's something mm -hmm. else that I talk about with like what could have worked better. But along the way, um, many of the people that experienced me had a good experience, right, mm -hmm. on the working end. So my investee company, one of the CFOs of that company that we invested into, although the deal didn't work out the way we wanted to, mm -hmm. still today is literally one of my closest friends and my biggest advocates. Mm. He will open doors for me. I mean, we just had dinner, like, and it's been years, right? And we just had dinner, you know, uh, last week uh, in California, and we were, you know, reminiscing and all that. And he will always say, you know, Sarah, at, at 25, I had no idea you were 25 at that time. And we were talking because this is pre-Zoom, right? Before uh -huh. everyone knew like, what Zoom was. We were speaking into that spider, if you remember that conference yeah. thing, uh -huh. right? So it, I was just that voice. And he said, you spoke with reason. You, you were like the most... Uh, uh, you know, practical person on the call. And then when I eventually met you, I was like blown away. Like, who is this person? Right. Mm -hmm. But it's what I'm saying is don't, even though it's easy to like, you know, get, and, and I'm sure a lot of corporate people remember this, like the feeling of, 
oh, you want to do the best and negotiate the best deal and all that. Don't forget yourself in the process because mm. those relationships outlast everything else that you do. Yes. And now in different chapters, this guy has become still like one of my biggest mentors and advocates and advisors that I can count on because that, that trust has been built there already. Yeah. So Brian Khan, if you're listening, this is a shout out to you. I appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And that's so powerful. So, you know, you're talking about the, you know, the value the I mean, the immense value, right, of mentors and sponsors and those relationships. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about we get this all the time, women that we're coaching, we talk that we talk to them on how powerful the community is and that they have to leverage their community in a different way than just, you know, um, support women are will leverage them for personal things, but not for career, because they feel mm. that there's a little bit of, for lack of a better term, many will say ickiness, or they feel like they're being, you know, selfish or too strategic, like it's not an authentic mm relationship. Can you talk a little bit about that balance of like, it's really, it's not about like, I'm going to use this person. It's like, there's a reciprocity mm -hmm. there where you do for them and they do for you. But how do you, you know, how do you develop relationships that feel authentic and that you care for one another and they're long lasting like this, the relationship that you just described? Yeah. And, and actually, that's a really good question because I've experienced the negative and the positive way to do it. Right. So yeah. the negative way is you take, take, take. Right. And you you think about me, me, me all the time. Mm -hmm. That's a no, no. And I've actually experienced this both from from men and from women. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you want to be really, really careful about that because that comes across, you know, all in all the wrong ways. Maybe I'll help you once. But if it's me, me, me all the time, it's very clear. So there's a saying in that your your intention flows in everything that you do, even though you don't say it uh, mm -hmm. overtly, intention yes. flows and you can see it, right? So I, I mean, in that negative experience, I've seen how it comes from like a very selfish intention and that's not good. What I try to do and what is, I hope the positive way of doing it is it's like you said, right? It's reciprocal. So it's mm -hmm. give and take. It's making sure that, as much as I'm asking you, it's, you know, you always put the mirror and say, mm -hmm. what else can I be doing for you? And and oftentimes, and I feel this way because I'm usually, like I said, I'm since I was young, I was put in rooms where people were twice my age. I mean, they have so much more value to give to me than I, I did to them, mm -hmm. right? Like, what could I offer? And even, even if you feel that way, just ask that question, you'd be surprised, right? Mm -hmm. Perhaps, especially like for me now in the multi-generational firm that we're building, Having two perspectives has been fantastic. Mm -hmm. She deals with perhaps the, you know, the premieres of the wealth builders. And then I'm dealing with the next generation. It feeds into it very well. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's about how do you do it in a way that uh, feels authentic, right? So again, check your intention. Number one, check your intention. Where does this come from? Okay, maybe you want to get something out of this person, but look at this person as a person. Right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's not even like, you know, they don't even expect anything. Most people, most genuine people, I would say that I've met in my life don't expect anything. Mm -hmm. But then because I ask them that question, it's it always opens the door for them to say, hey, Sarah, uh, hey, you've got a following now. Could I put something? Uh, could you mention, our, 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 you know, this thing that we're putting together? would love to get the investor group um, looking at this. Right. Uh, do you know someone? And the high, the likelihood of me knowing someone who knows someone who can help you is very high at this stage. And, mm -hmm. you know, eventually you build your value and you give back, right? So as much as you can do that, I think that's great. And and 
yeah, check in with uh, that person as well, where possible, like, hey, um, you know, I did this thing. Oh, this is very important. When I mean by checking, what I mean by checking in is do mm-hmm. the thing that you said you were going to do. I yeah, take this very yes. seriously. I've been given opportunities in my lifetime that are like so rare. And I always use this term of rising to the occasion because you some mm-hmm. of these opportunities come once in a lifetime. You don't have a chance to like start over or, oh, no, I didn't do that as well. Someone mm-hmm. opens the door, someone gives you an opportunity, take it absolutely seriously and execute on it and then tell them, this is what I did. I followed your advice. This is what I did. People love closing the loop. I love it. Yes. That's so important to close the loop and let them know that, which brings another question for me, the opportunities, those rare opportunities that might seem scary. There's a level of uncertainty and you rise to the occasion. Rising to the occasion takes a level of courage or, you know, that moment where you don't pass up the opportunity or you don't let that opportunity slide. How do you evaluate those situations? Like, you know, do you just have confidence in yourself that you'll figure it out? Or have you built that muscle to say, this is an opportunity? I, you know, maybe there's a little bit of self-doubt, but you're just going to move forward mm-hmm. anyway. How do you realize on the opportunity? So it sounds like there were two questions in that. So how do I evaluate the opportunity? And then how do I rise? So mm-hmm. evaluating the opportunity, I will say, um, and, and this is an important skill set too, right? Because you, ca- you can't do everything. Right. Being focused is so, so important. And and then because if you focus on the right opportunities, then you can truly rise to it, right? So it, it feeds into right. the second question. But I would say, you know, um, I would evaluate it from a, and this is pretty vague, but, you know, and speaking in, in rhetorics in some way, but you need to look at uh, the long game always. This Well, this is me, right? Um, Short term, like this, where is this going to go? Maybe you think that way. Mm-hmm. But what does this open the aperture to? And being mm-hmm. open-minded to the possibility is usually a good thing, right? I, I've never regretted it. Right. So I always think from a point of like, would I regret not doing this thing? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, then I'll do it. Then I'll do it, right? right? And, and right. your gut, and women, we have this great gut feeling, mm-hmm. uh, lean into it. I would say like figuring out how to, how to understand my gut feeling has been a muscle that I've been trying to work because mm-hmm. I mean, times, especially negotiations, partnerships, it's, it's hard, right? Is mm-hmm. it uncertainty or is it not a good deal? Mm-hmm. And that's something that you have to work on. But I, I look at it from that perspective. So that's evaluation. And then the second one on rising to the occasion, uh, I will say it's a huge muscle. So in the beginning, of course, um, like very unsure about myself, you know, especially like coming to a new country, I will say, I underestimated what it took to relocate, <laughs> rebuild my network. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was in my late 20s. I, w- I, I wasn't like after university, I'm coming here. It yeah. was when I felt my career was on, you know, on an upward trajectory. And then I decided to make this personal decision and all that. But it's opened up a lot of, op- a lot of great things and opportunities for me. Um, but it's just knowing that you have it within you mm-hmm. to do the right thing. Again, if it's the right opportunity, you have all that you need. Everything that you need is already here. Mm-hmm. You just need to tap into it. You know, yes. we always feel like I need a, and I used to, I still feel this way sometimes. I will say that, like, I need more track record. I need more experience. Mm-hmm. I need more of this, this resources. This is this. But when I tell myself all I need is already here, mm-hmm. it changes my mindset into, okay, what can I do? What can I make work for me? 
And how can I rise to this occasion? I love that. I absolutely love that. And I think the other key thing that you mentioned is that the in part of the evaluation, like you were saying, thinking about it long term or even short term, like, you know, where is this going to lead? And I think the other important question is, is it aligned to my North Star? Like having that clarity on what it is that you're the outcome that you want or, or the overall arching goal of what you're trying to do. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because you obviously have crushed and accomplished lots of different goals and gaining that clarity on what it is that you're wanting to do. How do you, how do you, you know, start ticking away at that goal? Can you describe kind of like a typical day on how you actually execute, but then also maybe making sure you're taking care of yourself because you're, you're doing so much, but you know, being mindful that you don't burn out. Cause you've talked about that before where like mm. burning out and you had to take a step back. Um, so talk a little bit about that. Cause you like, you go big or go home. So you have these big audacious, big, hairy, audacious goals, right? The BHAG. Um, how do you actually start executing on them and getting, getting there? Oh, um, I will say I'm not perfect. I don't have it down to the T. And even uh, yesterday, I was just telling my husband, okay, fine. I will agree to cut off things at 9pm. <laughs> unless I have a really important Asia call. Like that's the only no. exception. And I'll try to because of time difference. Like, and working globally, I will say people underestimate. I mean, that was my dream. Right? I want to be a global leader. Sounds great in principle, but your life is like a complete mess. So right. what I've done actually is I've done time blocking. Like that's mm-hmm. one of uh, the hacks that I've done where I know. So if I'm like, I mean, like this is kind of a sales skill set, right? Like you're speaking, mm-hmm. you're you're using your a lot of energy. Uh, I have days where I only do this. And then because I can't do this and then shift to go and do deep work where I require, yes. you know, deep thinking, how do I structure this? How do I make this vehicle work? So on and so forth. So I have time blocking different days or different things different days for different regions. So if I'm doing like a late night call, I will definitely start a little bit later and give myself grace and give myself Mm -hmm. the opportunity to regroup because that's really important. And I will say as a a woman, and I really hate this, I want to change this, but you're too young until you're too old. Mm. Yeah. So uh, be all all that is to say, like, you need to take care of yourself, right? It's really, really important. And, And time flies. I mean, uh, you don't realize like what it takes out of you. I mean, to do big things, it, it yeah, you know, I, I feel like I've, I've aged a lot and, you know, aging is beautiful and <laughs> that, but I don't feel like I've been aging as gracefully as, as I would have wanted. Um, <laughs> and we're all just conscious, whatever, but, uh, you know, you sharing, the me, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> sharing the insecurity there, but, um, uh-huh. I, I mean, it's, it's having those little hacks. I use, uh, software that helps me out a lot right so I use notion actually which is like my playbook mm-hmm. and also I started outsourcing certain things um right where I realized okay if you decide hypothetically your time is worth like 15,000 an hour mm-hmm. what can you hire out what is not 15,000 or 10,000 dollar work that you should be giving to yes. other people so that you can focus on the big things right right so those are some of my strategies um and I would say the a big chunk of that is also having a great support system. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a supportive partner and I think that's really, really important to be uh, doing the hard stuff and that under, not only supports you, but understands why you're doing it mm-hmm. because it's the mental, it's the emotional support and that, you know, there will be times where it's like, oh, almost rock bottom. 
mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, I want to give up. But it's your partner that pulls you back and says, okay, why did she start in the first place? Yes. They're holding you accountable. That's phenomenal. Yes. And I love what you said about being intentional on blocking times and then understanding um, the energy that it's going to take. Like this is a really deep thinking day. So um, it's going to be on this day and I don't want to put any other things that can be distracting or is going to like take you to, to have to like shift mentally. I think that's really powerful. Um, yeah, because tasks, I mean, I will say um, there's been studies that show that the task switching mm-hmm. actually and uh, you know, I'm, I'm like deep into all this productivity stuff, but the task mm-hmm. switching um, takes a huge toll that people don't realize. And that's why like you feel so exhausted when you're like going for a meeting and then taking a call and then doing like different types of activities that require mm-hmm. different parts of the brain. You get exhausted, even though you feel you haven't done much. So there, yes. there'll be days where I, I felt this, right? I feel I haven't done anything, but why am I so exhausted? It's because of that task switching. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's really powerful. What if you knew exactly where to focus to go further, faster? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers and the ability to take action and gain unstoppable momentum to deliver results and advance. Take the Beyond Barriers Momentum Metric Quiz to get a personalized report on the five C's core categories used to measure and accelerate success. Visit gobeyondbarriers.com slash quiz to get your report today. I have one more question for you before we go into the lightning round, because I could talk to you all day long. <laughs> we're cut from the same cloth. Um, yeah. you, you were, we were talking a little bit about, uh, you were talking about the, you know, um, setting the time blocks, knowing that you only schedule certain things at a day and then the boundaries, right? And you talked a little bit about the boundaries that even your your husband, your partner made you set like alternative <laughs> But how do you protect those time blocks? How do you protect those time blocks from someone saying, I, like, Sarah, I know you mm. usually don't take podcast interviews or, or speaking, in, you know, things on, you know, Tuesdays, but, you know, you're going to do it. Like, how do you, this is where I see a lot of women struggling where they don't, Hmm. they, they don't block that time. They end up being the martyr and they'll give up that space or that time because somebody else imposed on it. How do you, how do you do that? How do you manage and kind of protect uh, and set those boundaries and keep them? Yeah. And, and I will say, you know, of course you need to earn this privilege, right? Not if, if you're working for someone on a nine to five, it's going to be hard. There's still a way to do it. Like have a conversation with your boss, you know, figure this out because it's important for you to be at your game, right? You know, to be at your top performance. It's a win-win situation. Again, like what's in it for the other person being reciprocal. Uh, but I will say it's, it's a lot of hard work. Uh, there will be times and you will never feel like you've done enough. Uh, mm-hmm. So, for example, vacations, right? Um, I know this is like, you know, let's say March. It's the busiest month, for example, mm-hmm. but it's also my anniversary. And yes. um, I just decided, I just made that decision. Like, okay, whatever it is, nothing is more important than my marriage. Um, everything else will fit around it. Mm-hmm. So you make that commitment and then you just, you well, you, I mean, I've made the booking and I've committed mm-hmm. to other people. So uh-huh. I have to own up to it, right? I can't just, you know, uh, give yeah. that up. So I, I don't know. I think it's it's just making that decision. I, I, I think it's so easy to, and we always break promises with ourselves. 
Yes. Uh, we try to like, you know, be people pleasers and be the best for everybody, but we're so hard on ourselves and we break promises with ourselves all the time. And I think the more you do that, it actually mm -hmm. unravels you. I don't know if that's the right word, but it's, it's not good. And yes. so I, I try my best to say, if it's on the calendar, it's on the calendar, everything else, nothing is as from, from a work perspective, even if you're doing a multi-billion deal, like mm -hmm. I've been there, nothing is as urgent. It can wait, like, I don't know, a couple of hours. It can wait one day. Mm -hmm. Most things that you think is urgent and important isn't like a life or death thing. Right. And the hard truth to accept is that even without you, life goes on, right? And, and I've experienced death, like my, my late father. I've experienced grief. I've experienced so many things. And it's a hard reality. But when you accept that and you know that, I mean, this gets a little bit more spiritual, but mm -hmm. it helps you reframe what's really important. Yeah. So does, I don't know, um, having your client feel like you're taking care of them all the time, mm -hmm. is that more important than your sanity? And mm -hmm. maybe that's not a client that you want anyway, because yeah. Yeah. this person's so demanding, right? Like, is this the life that you want to live? So that's mm -hmm. how I think about it. <laughs> I love that. It's powerful. And I think, uh, you know, like you said, I think it's um, focusing on, you know, is this going to, is this really life or death? Is it this urgent? Can it wait? And understanding that many of the times, yes, it can wait. We're just creating this drama in our head sometimes, right? Uh, or, or it's the, it's the, you know, the fear of like, you're going to disappoint someone. Um, so I think it's powerful to understand, like, you have to keep those boundaries to keep yourself sane. I think it's so, so important. Um, and so I think I, I fibbed a little bit. I have one more question for you before we go. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, we get this all the time where we talk about women getting clarity and, and mm. you know, doing what they're passionate about. And, and you've done just that, right? You were in, you know, the like, you know, investment banking, big deal making kind of venture capital kind of corporate space. Um, and then now, you know, you're leading this amazing you know, female focused VC kind of thing with, you know, beyond, you know, beyond the billion, right? Talk yeah. a little bit about that. Like, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? But how did you marry your passions to, you know, you, you know, that unique value proposition? How did you marry those things and move forward with confidence in doing that? Yeah, so I, I will say it's not a straight path. And um, uh, frankly, when when I started, I actually put my hand up because this the billion dollar fund for women so beyond the billion launched as the billion dollar fund for women uh i met shelly who's my co-founder now and you know i was really just trying to build my community in the u.s as i moved here and i asked her what she was doing and she said that the billion dollar fund for women is her idea um haven't executed not sure how we're gonna like totally frame this up um and i basically said you know well i have some time in my hands uh Mm -hmm. Can I help you? Right. And mm -hmm. then she saw what help from me meant. And mm -hmm. it meant like rolling out a whole strategy because I was in Asia and I was already a VC. I had decision makers that were taking my call and we could roll this out. And so create a business plan, so on and so forth. And then she said, Oh my Lord, you know, you have to be my co-founder. And I said, yes. And, uh, you know, I will say it's a match make. If, if that was a match made in heaven in so many ways, this would yeah. be 
very close to that because, you know, again, we're like from different generations, but we're so aligned that, you know, I'm even when I was texting her earlier on something we were a negotiation we were handling, I said, you know, just, you know, I'm sure we're aligned, like just send it, like whatever you type out, I trust you so much that yes. we're aligned that this would be it, right? And and to get to that level of partnership in business is really hard because I've had many bad business partnerships as well. Yeah. Uh, to compare that to, right? So to get to that level, and I think you'll appreciate this, is is very hard. Yes. Um, but it was really about me saying yes. And then at that time, frankly, I had another, you know, I had a tech job. I thought I wanted to, uh, you know, do the same thing of, oh, have my lean in Malaysia and my corporate career. Right. So this was my nonprofit. Um, but when we hit the billion dollar mark, right, in under nine months, and, and I'll, I'll share a little bit of the genesis because it's important. Yeah. Um, but the idea was how do we close the gender venture investment gap where women get less than 3% of venture capital funding? Mm-hmm. And I was seeing it in the work that I did, and we decided to take it from a consortium approach, which means we worked with multiple VCs and the investors into VCs called limited partner investors mm-hmm. to catalyze over a billion dollars into female founded companies. So mm-hmm. we worked, uh, we started as a pledge campaign to get VCs to pledge a dollar amount to be invested into women founded companies. And that amount amounted to a billion dollars. And I kid you not, our initial plan to answer your question, like, how did this become the thing? The uh-huh. initial plan was, okay, it'll take me maybe 10 years. But when we <laughs> hit the mark in nine months, uh-huh. no one was more surprised than we were. And I realized, hey, I was spending, frankly, I was like uh, all over the place because I had a full-time job and this was taking a lot of my time. There was media, there was press, there's a lot of things going on. And I was spending 20% of my time to get 80% of the results. And I literally sat down with my husband, uh, you know, uh, at the close to your mark. And I said, honey, you know, I'm spending a just a little bit of time to get this results. What if I channel all my time? What if this is the thing? Mm-hmm. Right? It's not, it's not, uh, it wasn't at that time commercialized in the way that it is now. But mm-hmm. I said, give me, I don't know, I, I think I can do it. Give me like six months, let me prove that this can be something. Um, and then let's take it from there. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an important part as well, because I, you know, this is why choosing your partner is the, the most important career decision you can make because then <laughs> yes. you get to make choices like this, right? Where I could take that kind of risk because he's the st- uh, stability in the family. And uh, guess what? 2020 was the timeline and then the pandemic hit. So it was really, really hard. Um, but we emerged out of it and we're still, you know, going strong and, and even stronger. But the idea is, you know, we started as a pledge campaign to get over a billion dollars into the hands of female founders 638 million of the first billion has been deployed in two years into wow. 800 companies with 11 unicorns minted. Uh, so really proud of that. And our partner funds, our community, of course, we couldn't have done it without them. It's a community effort. Um, but, you know, now, you know, now we work with institutional investors. So sort of the LP piece, right? The limited partner piece, the in, investors into the VC funds, because, and we talked a little bit about this, but a lot of the why this problem exists is structural right mm-hmm. it's yes. um, you know an issue like to fund a fund manager to write a check to a fund manager so mm-hmm. many may not know this but not all venture capitalists are rich in fact many of them are not doing so well especially when they're starting out because it's a really hard business to be in mm-hmm. um but to get the check of other people's money into your venture capital fund to fund startups mm-hmm. you need to oftentimes have a track record what people call a track record Right, And if you're trying to get money from pension funds, uh, large financial institutions that write those big checks, 
mm-hmm. they're going to ask you for a 10-year track record. Right. Uh, and remember, <laughs> most women, people of color, didn't come from that opportunity, uh, that, that privilege and that same access point, that mm-hmm. the status quo, which by the way, 88% of all venture capital goes to all male teams. So you know what the status quo is. Yes. And it's even worse when you look at who's writing the check, right? It, only like 1.9%. Uh, are women people of color that are writing the checks at the LP level. So uh, when your pattern of success doesn't look like you and me, what do you think our likelihood of success is going to be? Yes. We need to change the system. We need to hack the system a little bit. And we need to work with the current system to change it, right? So yeah. uh, part of our work is doing that. Um, and, you know, we're, we're working on the next iteration of what Beyond the Billion. And that's why the shift from the Billion Dollar Fund for Women to Beyond the Billion uh, yes. actually my co-founder Shelly was put on the spot and what inspired this was the CEO of Political uh-huh. in DC and we're based in DC. Uh-huh. Asked her, okay, you hit the billion dollar mark, what next? 10 billion, right. 2 billion? <laughs> did the 2 billion fund for women and we said, well, let's go beyond the billion. Let's widen the aperture and it gave us an opportunity to um, yeah, keep going as well and, and not cap uh, what we believe is, is a good momentum. Right. But there's a lot, a lot more work to be done um, in the space. That's phenomenal. Oh, my God. So congratulations to you. And and so glad that you are kind of paving the way for, you know, companies like us who are looking to kind of like going against that, that statistic. And um, so amazing to see the work that you're doing. Well, like I said, we could talk all day long. So I I do (laughs) kind of get into the to the closing the lightning round questions um, that that sometimes are my favorite, because it kind of um, gives us a peek into who you are in a different lens. But um, what is your what book has greatly influenced you? Ooh. I think I'm looking at the I ha, these are some of my like favorite books. Uh-huh. Uh, but the one that I think is really that really has influenced me lately is The Psychology of Money by Morgan Hauser. Mm. Highly highly recommend it. Okay. Cuz I think you know I mean we we're, we're we were talking about this right like generation wealth we talk about the power of the check. Mm-hmm. A lot of that is the psychology of money. So I highly recommend it. I love that. Okay. Definitely on. It's one of my favorites as well. Uh, what is your favorite inspiring quote or saying? Oh my gosh. You're asking like the quote queen. This is hard. Um, <laughs> um, what is my most inspiring quote? I have like too many. I'm trying to think what's the best one right now. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. How about we go with this? The most common way most people give up power is to believe that they have none. Mm, That is so powerful. I love that. I love that. And that is so true because we're the ones who give up our power. And how do we how do we make sure we take it back and hold on to it? I love it. Uh, That was so good. What is one word or moniker you would use to describe yourself? audacious audacious i love it own it (laughs) that's right yeah Uh, what is the one change a habit a behavior an action that you implemented that made your life better uh not to wait for the perfect time i know Mm -hmm. it's not like a habit but it's just an approach to things that has really changed my life because and i know this is lightning round i always tell my guests as well there's no context but it, it it really makes a difference when you 
like I said, you know, we always feel we can have more. We need this to do this. Mm-hmm. But when you already believe that you have all you need to succeed and there's no perfect time, now is the perfect time. You just do it. I love that. And it also, I mean, you live it because like you said, there's no perfect time. So when those big opportunities like come your way and you just take them, it's just like, there's no perfect time. I love it. And and you're living it, right? So you're leading by example. I love that one. And the final one, which is my favorite. All right, Sarah's walking out onto the stage. Lots of people out there. The cameras are on you. What is the power song that you want playing as you walk out onto that stage? Ay, 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 power song. I'm going to forget it um, because actually I will say my family has chosen those because we, we had to choose songs for that. Um, <laughs> forget the name of it. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe I'll send it to you, but I will say now what's in my head is, uh-huh. um, so maybe this is not like for the moment, but uh-huh. uh, Hagami, uh, Hagami is a Iranian song by a uh, exalt. Uh, oh. celebrity an uh-huh. exalt uh singer called Golazin who's uh-huh. become my friend and uh you know that's she, yeah. she was on my pod and we were spending time together and her spirit inspires me mm. and that song is about the no hijab movement that has become the song for the no hijab movement that went viral yeah. so that's my current that song because it reveals power in so many ways i love it well, we, we have a, a, a tradition where we pull all the power songs, and I'm sure that's going to be one that's going to become ah, okay. the, the power song for many. So thank you for sharing that. So it's in Farsi. This is the, I'm bringing some international elements here. There you go. <laughs> it's all about inclusion here. Well, that's Sarah, right. thank you so much for your time. This has been a phenomenal conversation. Um, I could go on and on. And uh, I'm sure that our audience are going to want to learn and listen and hear more from you. So share a little bit of how they can stay in contact. I know your podcast. So what's the best way for them to follow you? Yeah, thank you. So my podcast is Billion Dollar Moves. So it's a journey of um, you know founders and funders, typically from the journey of underestimated to uh, iconic. And you love it. It's raw and unfiltered and the most uh yeah like in your face way uh right. authentic way uh so that's one sarah chan global on all social media handles uh-huh. and uh yeah you can visit you can learn more about our firm beyond the com. awesome well thank you so much it has been a pleasure sarah and i look forward to staying in touch thank you so much Monica. take care thank you for joining us for this episode of the beyond barriers podcast There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend, or share what you've learned on LinkedIn and tag us. We love hearing from our audience. Visit us at gobeyondbarriers.com, where you can subscribe and find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests.